there was uh, once a great trapeze artist and a tightrope walker. His name was Blondin. Uh, his real name was, uh, in fact, Jean-Francois Gravelet. But, of course, as you can imagine, uh, that doesn't really have a certain ring to it, is it? That Blondin is just far more cool. It just attracts attention. And uh, there was this great guy. He was the first chap to uh, cross Niagara Falls on a tightrope. That was on June the 30th in 1859, so just over 150 years ago. But he wasn't content with just doing it the once. Uh, he decided to do it blindfolded. He decided to uh, cook an omelette in the middle. And uh, one day he pushed a wheelbarrow across. And uh, after doing that, he held a press conference. And he said to uh, the folks, he said, look, uh, uh, my next trick is to, or not, not trick, but my next feat, is to uh, push a wheelbarrow across with somebody in it. And uh, he, asked it, he asked everybody, he said, look, do you believe I can do it? And there was a reporter sitting in the front row and jumped up really enthused and said, I believe you can do it. I believe you can do it. And so Blondin very quickly said, he said, well, since you believe I can do it, uh, why don't you get in the wheelbarrow and let's go and do it now. The guy was straight out of the room and uh, they couldn't see him uh, for weeks. Uh, it's an amusing story, isn't it? It's a true story. And it shows us that uh, real faith shapes how we behave if the reporter really had believed that uh, Blondin could wheel someone across, then he'd have stayed behind, got into the wheelbarrow, and allowed him to do it. His faith would have been shown in his trust of the great man. On our Sunday mornings recently, we've been looking at the prophecy of Habakkuk. And as we reach the climax in these final few verses of the book, we see that Habakkuk is a prophet of faith who trusts not in a great man, not in himself, but in the great sovereign Lord God. And we can see very clearly how uh, his faith and trust in the Lord shapes not only the life of the prophet, but actually should shape the life of every man and woman who believes in the true and one God. What we're going to discover uh, this morning as we uh, close with these final verses of Habakkuk is that there are four uh, ways in which uh, genuine trust in the Lord God is shown by the woman or man of faith. Each of them, each of them amazingly rests not in the person themselves, but in the person and character of God. See the first there before you uh, is that he or she waits patiently for the Lord's justice even though they are trembling. Verse 16. I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. Habakkuk has heard from the Lord how he is going to bring justice to him and to his fellow countrymen in Judah. Justice that he'd longed for, that he'd cried out to the Lord. If you were with us uh, three, four weeks ago, you'd have heard uh, right in verse 2, Habakkuk crying out to the Lord for justice. And it was justice that he feared the Lord would not bring. And yet, as we've continued through the chapters of Habakkuk, we've seen that actually the Lord reveals that he will bring justice, but he'll bring it through a surprising Avenue. It'll be through the hands of the Babylonians. And that had perplexed Habakkuk. They were a far more wicked nation than Judah. And uh, he was surprised by that. 
until it was that the Lord revealed to him that he would also bring justice to Babylon and indeed bring justice ultimately to all the wicked, to all who reject him and persecute his people. And the Lord revealed that this justice was just awaiting his perfect timing. It was, it was going to happen sometime in the future. And so as, as Habakkuk has heard all this from the Lord, and as he has recalled the Lord's past deeds, we've seen that last week in the first 15 verses of chapter 3, he trembles as he hears it. His heart pounds, his lips quiver, his bones shake and his legs turn to jelly. He trembles because no matter how much he longs for justice, he realises what it's going to mean for the Babylonians. Uh, Just take the first of the five woes that the Lord speaks about Babylon in chapter 2. You may like to just turn back to it over one page, verse 6 of chapter 2. This is what the Lord says is coming to Babylon. Woe to him who piles up stolen goods and makes himself wealthy by extortion. How long must this go on? Will not your debtors suddenly arise? Will they not wake up and make you tremble? Then you will become their victim. Because you have plundered many nations, the people who are left will plunder you. For you have shed man's blood. You have destroyed lands and cities and everyone in them. Makes Habakkuk tremble as he realises that that is just part of what the Lord is going to do to Babylon. And I wonder whether uh, we do the same in our day for those who live around us as we await God's ultimate justice brought by his son, the Lord Jesus, when he comes as judge. That day is coming. It will be awful. And on that day, he will condemn all the wicked to everlasting exile in hell. We should tremble for them. We should tremble for our families. We should tremble for those we share a house with or or share a street with, share an office with, those we share a hobby with. We should tremble for those people in our parish of Forward and into Sheffield and beyond. We should tremble for those that our missionaries are trying to reach and for regimes around the world that try to prohibit the spread of the gospel of our Lord. God has spoken. His wrath is coming. And we should tremble for the wicked as Habakkuk did for the Babylonians. He trembles for them. He trembles also for himself because he knows that he may see all the things that God has promised is coming. As the Lord moves in wrath, just as he's recalled he has done so in the past, Habakkuk knows what that is going to look like. And that too makes him tremble for himself because he will be caught up in it. He trembles too because he knows that the justice that God is promising lies in the future and that he and his fellow faithful in in Judah well, they'd have to wait for that justice to come. And waiting meant enduring more and more persecution every day, more and more persecution. And of course, they were going to have to wait enduring that persecution without knowing when it was going to end. When you go in and endure an exam, you know that at the end of the exam, the time is finished, it's over. 
But waiting for the Lord's justice was another matter. And Habakkuk was waiting without knowing and waiting with all of this coming upon him. And what does Habakkuk do? He says, the end of verse 16, Yet, yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come upon the nation invading us. It may be tough, it will be tough, but I know that the Lord has heard my cry. He is bringing justice and so I will trust him. That is what the person of faith does. The uh, persecutions of Christians in Nigeria is well known. It's fierce, it's deadly. And yet these are the words that Archbishop Ben Kwashi said, and many of you folk will know Ben. He said this, he said, It is my firm determination to encourage all who trust in the Lord to keep praying and never give up. One day day God will enthrone good over evil, truth over lies, righteousness over wickedness, and justice over injustice. It may be soon, it may be later, but my faith looks to thee, thou Lamb of Calvary. He goes on to say that the promises of the Lord are true and the way of the Lord is just. He says the good news is that we have nowhere else we can turn. You see, he and they have learnt what Habakkuk knew and had learnt. That as they face persecution, as they face waiting for the Lord's justice to come, they would do so patiently because they trusted that God was going to bring it. These are words to those of us who this morning are going through times of trial, facing injustice. Those who will go back to work tomorrow to face more of it. Those who go back to their homes to face it today. These are words to you to point you to trust in the God of justice and wait patiently. This week, this month, this year, this decade. These are also words to those of us who are yet to face that, for whom uh, such times are in in the future, that we are to prepare ourselves for that time and to use the time now well, to begin and to grow in trusting the Lord and his justice. But also, I think, these are words to those of us who may be supporting people who are going through such times. They help us to know how to pray for them and to pastor them, to point them to the Lord who is just and whom we can trust to bring justice. So the first mark of the prophet of faith, of the man or woman of faith, is that he or she trusts God, trusts his justice and waits patiently for it though they tremble in the face of it. The second mark is that he or she rejoices in the Lord's salvation, though facing destitution. See this in verse 17 and 18. Although Habakkuk may have appeared preoccupied in the first, in verse 16, preoccupied with God's justice against the Babylonians, he's not forgotten the justice that the Lord is also going to bring upon his people in Judah. That, after all, is where 
Habakkuk began, wasn't it? In in chapter 1, verse 2. And this is where he turns his attention next because he knows that the Lord's justice upon the people in Judah who are persecuting him will mean great hardship for all in Judah. For all. And that included him and his fellow faithful believers. And that's going to happen when Babylon invades. Now we in this country have enjoyed relative peace over the last uh, decades, haven't we? As I look around this morning, uh, there will be a few of us here who will remember the threat of invasion during World War II. There will be some of us who remember the threat of the Cold War. And I guess most of us will uh, remember the threat that Al-Qaeda possesses and possessed that made us so anxious as they bombed capital cities. But few of us, few of us have experienced the anxiety Habakkuk did as he waited for the justice of the Lord, as he waited for the Babylonian invasion that would bring that justice. In verse 17, he looks forward to what that will mean. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls. That's what he is looking forward to. That is what he is expecting. What might that look like for us today? Well, it it means taking the basics of life away from us. It means industry grinding to a halt, agriculture and food production stopping, supermarkets bare, the stock market crashing, banks closed, suburbs in flames, public transport, trams, buses can't function. And in our homes, no electricity and no water. That for us is hypothetical. That for Habakkuk was reality that was coming. And how does he face it? He faces it quite stunningly. Verse 18, he says, Though I know that is coming, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Saviour. That is amazing trust, isn't it? I think so often in our comfortable world, our our faith is attached to the gifts that God gives us. But what happens when we lose those things? What will our faith look like then? Where will our trust be placed then? Habakkuk here says that even when all that the Lord predicts happens and he loses everything, no home, no food, nothing, Even then he will rejoice because he trusts in the Lord. He knows that the Lord is worthy of praise, whatever his circumstances, regardless of what he gets in life, regardless of how bad life gets. Why? Because the Lord is his saviour. He trusts that the Lord is, is firstly coming to save the faithful in Judah. It's a done deal. Justice will be done. But it will mean destitution. And it may be that that Habakkuk himself may not even see that fully brought to fruition. He trusts that God is coming to save in that way. But he also trusts that that God is his personal saviour. I wonder if you noticed in verse 18, it is the personal name of the Lord that Habakkuk uses. That he says, I will be joyful in God, my saviour. 
both marks of the person who knows that they've been made right before God, that they've been saved from receiving God's wrath as they deserve, like every human deserves, and yet given mercy instead. You see, as such, uh, and trusting as Habakkuk does, he points us all to the one who came to save, came to save us all, the Lord Jesus Christ, who as a baby caused a man called Simeon to cry out to God in praise like this. Luke chapter 2, verse 29. Simeon, when he saw the Lord Jesus, said, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation. Salvation came in and through that boy who grew up to be the man who was crucified on Calvary. The one who experienced the full wrath of God's anger upon himself. Not because he himself was sinful, but because he bore the sins of the world. And he did it so that no one, no one need perish. No one need face the wrath of God, but may have eternal life through his mercy. That's after all what we remember at Holy Communion. His life for ours, his body broken, his blood shed that we may be saved. Habakkuk didn't know exactly how God was going to do this, but he trusted that he would. A few years ago, back in uh, 1970, there was uh, a clergy conference in South Africa, and at the final Holy Communion service that took place, a retired bishop uh, stood up and uh, read the reading from Luke's Gospel, and it included those words that I read just now, words of Simeon. As he got to those words, mine eyes have seen thy salvation, he gave them extra emphasis that morning. And then very unusually after the reading, he added these words. I'd like to say that this week, for the first time in my life, mine eyes have seen thy salvation. For that bishop, that trust that Habakkuk showed, was now his trust for the first time in 60 or 70 years. He had begun to trust the Lord God for his salvation. I wonder who this morning here needs to do that. Who has yet to trust the Lord for your salvation on that final day? You'll know who you are because you won't see that salvation is the greatest thing that you do need. You won't see that salvation is the most important thing that God could ever give you. And of course, until you realise that reality, you can't begin to say with Habakkuk, I will rejoice in the Lord, I will be joyful in God my Saviour. If you're someone who can't join Habakkuk in saying this, please... Please don't be proud or self-confident or even indifferent because one day the Lord will bring justice. He's promised to do it. He promised it to Habakkuk and it happened. He has promised to do it. And without Jesus, without Jesus as our saviour, none of us stands a chance. All we can look forward to is not a stretch in jail but eternity in hell. 
So why not? Why not think again and afresh about Jesus? Like that elderly bishop did. And acknowledge your need of salvation. Believe and trust in the Lord Jesus to save you. And decide to live with him as your Lord. Because that is what the person of faith, like the prophet of faith, does. Trusts in the Lord's justice. And so waits patiently for it. Rejoices in the Lord's salvation. And trusts in it, though facing destitution. And then, uh, as uh, we begin to uh, move to a close, two uh, other marks of the person of faith, the person who really trusts the Lord, they're over on the other side of your sheets. Thirdly, he or she stands firm in the Lord's strength. He or she stands firm in the Lord's strength because they trust in the Lord's strength. Today we live in a very self-sufficient and self-confident world where we all try to do things in our own strength. So at work we climb the, the ladder to promotion ourselves, thinking of nobody else and asking nobody else for help. We rely on ourselves because we think that there are very few people who are dependable and trustworthy. And often we, we don't ask for help because... Well, we think asking for help is a sign of weakness. But note now how the man or woman of faith faces the mountains that he or she has to climb. Verse 19. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to go on the heights. Habakkuk says that his strength is in the Lord himself. He is my strength. And of course, since he is the sovereign Lord God, well, it's a done deal. He knows he can confidently go and stand on the heights like a deer and stand firm. It's worth noting here that, that Habakkuk isn't uh, sort of the Lord's mountaineer in training. He's not sort of planning on going to Everest for the Lord. No, he's planning on going to the enemy for the Lord, to those who worship other gods, to those who do not recognize the Lord, to those who do not like his people and persecute his people. So what we have here is, is the prophet who has accepted that he is going to have to go on those spiritual high places. The heights here are a picture of places where God is not worshipped. And Habakkuk realises that he will have to go there for the Lord. That he will have to face and do battle with others who do not worship him and persecute his people. But he knows he doesn't have to do it alone. The Lord is his strength. The Lord will go with him. And that is exactly the same for us this morning if we are his people too. We too are engaged in a, in a spiritual battle a battle that we've commented on time and time again as we've gone through this uh, book of Habakkuk. And you know what? The outcome of our battle is certain. It is sure. It is just as sure as it was for Habakkuk. That's why we had those uh, verses from Romans 8 read this morning. 8.31 What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all. How will he not also, along with all things, graciously give us all, 
all things. Who shall separate us from the love of God? Verse 35. Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, Paul goes on. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. If we are rooted, if we are trusting in the Lord Jesus this morning, we can face our high places, whether it's the high places in our own lives, the sin that constantly is lurking at our door, the temptation that lurks. We can battle against it and we can win in Christ. And we can battle and we can fight against the wickedness in this world too. The wiles of the evil one as he tries to knock us off course and as he uses others to do that too. I have to admit that uh, I get vertigo. Uh, it's a problem I've had for many years and it means that I fear heights. So I'll try, I'll, I'll try all I can to, to avoid going up high buildings, uh, to avoid, when we fly to uh, Ireland, to avoid sitting in the seat next to the window so that I can see out. I'll avoid going over high bridges, or at least I'll get Ali to drive so I don't have to. Now that may not be an issue for you, but it is something I am afraid of doing. But you know what, when it comes to going on the spiritual heights, I think we all tend to get vertigo. We all tend to fear to go there, don't we? But you know what? The man or woman of faith can trust in God's strength and can go there with confidence. If we trust in the Lord, He is our strength. And it's only in Him that we can tackle those high places, be they high places in our own lives, be they high places at home, or in our places of work, in our neighbourhoods, or further afield. God can do it and he will do it. And no one can stand against him. And because he stands with us, he will help us to stand firm. So whatever he calls us to face today, tomorrow, whatever comes across our past, ask him for his strength and trust him for it. For he alone can enable us to do that. Because it's only the one who trusts in the Lord and in his strength who will stand firm. That is true. And then finally, the person of faith trusts the Lord and so enables others to sing the Lord's song. Verse 19. Uh, it's there, written for us, the end of it. For the director of music on my stringed instruments. It seems like a harmless little phrase or sentence to end. But you see, what Habakkuk knows is that he can trust the Lord and so he wants others to do so also. And so what he does is he sets these words to music so that others can sing the song too. That's exactly what others have done for us this morning as we have sung the Lord's praises. We have sung what others have written for us so that we may be encouraged to trust him more and more and more. And the person who believes and trusts the Lord will want others to share in who he is and what he has done so that they can grow in trusting him too. Pass on the news to others. Pass it on to believers so that they, their trust may grow deeper and deeper and deeper in him. Pass it on to those who have yet to trust him so that they may trust him for the first time. May mean sharing the news of what the Lord has done or what you have learned from his word. 
over coffee, over a meal, over a chance meeting in the street, wherever it may be, helping others to sing the Lord's song, one of trust and faith. You see, the Christian life isn't like a competition. It isn't like what's going on in uh, Roland Garros on the tennis court this afternoon in the men's uh, uh, final, in which individual against individual, relying on themselves. No, it is about us together encouraging one another, singing together the song of his faithfulness and his trustworthiness. That is a great song to sing. And it's the right song that we should be encouraging one another to sing too. So as we end this book on a high, as we see the prophet trusting the Lord, we see that trusting the Lord means being able to wait patiently for the Lord's justice, even though we tremble. Because we trust his justice. We trust that he is just. It means rejoicing in the Lord's salvation, even though we are destitute, because... We trust the Lord will be our saviour, because he is. It means standing firm in the Lord's strength, because we know that his strength is what we need, and he will give it. It means enabling others to sing the Lord's song, because we know that the Lord is trustworthy. And as we see all that, and as we realise how much much the Lord has done in Habakkuk's life, how he's taken him from questioning, to waiting, to learning, and now to trusting, as we see the amazing transformation that God has done, even in the harshest of circumstances, we know it's a transformation that the Lord can and will and wants to do in us if we will let him. If we are men and women of faith, ready to trust him, we will find ourselves transformed from questioning the Lord to being patient and waiting on the Lord. From patient waiting on the Lord to learning from the Lord and from learning from the Lord to trusting in the Lord. It's all his work. It's all down to him. And to him be the glory forever and ever. Amen.